we have spent the last couple of weeks looking at different aspects of our journey forward with God. And two weeks ago was all about how we hear from God or how we don't hear from God. And last week I looked at the whole idea of how we sabotage ourselves. And I said it was probably my favorite one of the four teachings because I have seen myself do it so many times. And this week we're going to look at identity. And each one of these builds on the other. If you can't grasp the fact that you can hear from God, you can hear from God. And it doesn't have to be through someone like me, or it doesn't have to be um, through the telly, or through anything, that God can just speak directly into your life. That is, like, weird, to say the least. But it's also amazing. And it's the truth. And if you can grasp that, then when you have things like the sabotage cycle coming along, and like the stuff that we're going to talk about today, then you can hear God speak directly into that situation in your life. And last week I talked a lot about, and if you, if you missed last week or the week before, the two podcasts are up, please listen to them. And take some of the notes from the table down there and sit with the notes and go through them. And if you want to take notes as we're going through, you have a table in front of you. I didn't give you pens or paper. I will give you notes at the end of this session. If I give them to you now, you'll only start reading the third page and go home early. So I'm not giving them to you until I'm finished. Um, but here's the thing. If, you, if you'll take the time, God will speak to you. He is speaking all the time. And of everything that we do over these four or five weeks, of everything we do every week in hope, for the last nine years, God speaks directly to you. He wants a relationship with you. Not through someone else, just directly with you. And if you can get that, I promise you, it will change the way you look at the rest of your life. And if you already have it, that's amazing. But he probably wants more. And he has more. So it's how can we step into that place of having more. And <coughs> I just want to start today looking at a guy in the Bible called Elijah. And a really quick helicopter view of his life. He got called by God. He'd done something amazing. He got scared and ran away and got depressed. And then he got called to God again. Okay? There's a helicopter view. But I just want to concentrate on this for two seconds. He had the most phenomenal day of his life in a place called Mount Carmel where he caught, literally prayed and God sent fire down from heaven to consume up a sacrifice he had made. And there was 450 of the opposition team standing there saying he couldn't do it. After he had slagged them because they couldn't do it. You can read the story yourself. It's in 1 Kings 18 and 19. But the bit that I want to concentrate is on just after he had this most amazing thing happen and after he had this most amazing day a woman, no offense ladies, but a woman said, I'm going to get you killed. He had taken on 450 prophets of another religion, men, the kings were there, there was all kinds of people there, there had to be soldiers and everyone else there, and he was the only one, and he stood up to the whole lot of them. But just after that, this woman said, if you're not dead tomorrow, I will be. I'm going to make sure you're dead. And he got so scared he ran away and totally forgot who and whose he was. In an instant. And I wonder, have you ever been that person? I have certainly been that person. I haven't really had many people threatening me life, but I've had a few. But, but, but I have been in this place where like everything just seemed to work. Brilliant. I was like... Whatever you want, you're in that sweet spot. You're doing something, you're talking with somebody, you're, you're making something, whatever it is, but you just go, oh man, this is what I was made for. I'm bang on, I'm here, this is amazing. And 20 minutes later, you get a text message, a phone call, an email, or a thought comes into your head, and suddenly you're in the pits. And you forget what you were made for, or who you were made for, or all of this amazing stuff. And it's gone, like that. Ever happened? It's only me. I'm the only person this ever happens to. Okay, here's the moral of this. We easily forget who we are. So we hear from God. We find out about this sabotage cycle thing. We stop doing things that are hurting ourselves. And then suddenly somewhere something else happens and we just forget who we are again. 
and we fall back into the cycle. Losing perspective on your identity doesn't have to be because of anything major. It doesn't have to be because of a trauma or an abuse or, 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 or even an altercation with somebody else. Losing your identity or losing your perspective on your identity, you just need to be human to do that. So it can happen to any one of us. Just none of us are, are more amazing than anyone else. We're all in the place where we can be great and we can also be lousy. And all on the same day. I have had my holiest moments and my hellish moments all within hours of each other. Today our goal is to try and help us move towards the person that God redeemed us to be. That we get a chance to experience the fullness of him. And I also want to look at what the enemy uses to, dis- to confuse us and disturb us and knock us off track. Because at the end of the day, we have an enemy of ourselves. I just say, and, and I heard this from um, Erwin McManus one time, and I thought it was amazing. Before I got saved, I only had one enemy, and that was God. Before I gave my life to God, I was living in the world, and I was thought I was happy out and whatever. But God was, in essence, my enemy. But he was a nice enemy to have. He kind of still loved me even when I didn't like him. But the minute I switched sides and moved into the kingdom of life, I then had three enemies. I have the world, the flesh, and the devil. Because the world around me doesn't want me living the life I'm living. I can promise you my flesh does not want me living the life I'm living. And the devil doesn't want me living the life I'm living. And all of those things will work to trip me up and try and bring me back to what I was before. Does that make sense? And you see, the thing is that God wants us to be who he made us to be. He doesn't really care what you do. That's not a huge thing for him. What is huge for him, though, is that we are who he made us to be. And the thing about that is that our, our identity is in Jesus. It's in Christ, okay? And, and we get confused about that. And all kinds of things happen that stop us realizing that our identity is locked away in Jesus, So who I am doesn't change because of what happens to me. You with me? It doesn't change. And and I was trying to think, how can I demonstrate? So, I have a pen. Can I just say, this is a Parker pen. This is not just any pen. This is a Parker pen, which Mr. Dolgi here brought back to me from India. It's an Indian Parker pen. Viola, are you impressed? Okay. I want to ask you something. Shout something up at me for a minute. Not just anything, but I have a, I have a table here. I have so many props this week. It's ridiculous. Okay. Um, tell me names that people, not that you would ever call anybody this, but people would call other people who want to put them down. What would they say to them? What would you say? You're stupid. Okay. Hold on now, I mean, I can't write that quick. Thick. See the way I said that? Thick. I didn't say tick. Like from prom criminal. Go on. A dope. You were in Ireland too long. A dope. <laughs> he didn't know how to call people a dope before he came to live with us. Okay. What else? Wordless. Anything else? Give me one more. A waste of space. Waste of space. You can't do that. Okay. Okay, this is the best I can try and describe. I want you to imagine the box is Jesus. I know it says Manhattan, Border Candy, but forget about that for a minute. This is my identity. It's in the box. Is that fair enough? It's still in there. Okay. So you come along and you say, Brian, you're a dope. You might be right, by the way. I might be a dope. I might also be thick in some people's opinions, and I might be stupid. It might be worthless in some people's opinions. There's certainly people have thought I was a waste of space. And they probably thought that about you too. And how many of us have been told you can't do that? We put that, we give that pride a place up here, okay? Here's what I want to ask you. Do me a favor, actually, Gail. 
Just open the box up. This is not a magic trick. The pen is not going to disappear. Okay. Just open the box up and tell me something. Is the pen still in there? It is. is it still a Parker pen? It hasn't changed. Why? Because its identity is core and it's safe within Jesus. If you're in Jesus, the world can throw it at life at you, but it can't get you. Jesus took my shame to the cross. He took all the names. It's too early to start crying. The enemy cannot steal your identity. All he can do is deceive you regarding it. He'll use hurt, shame, unhealthy patterns that we have in life and lies to blindfold us from the truth. He can't take away your identity. All he can do is block you from seeing it. Your identity is safe, but we can give it away. He covers it up with names, with stuff, but our identity is still secure. And if we want to discover more about our identity in Christ, then we need to use the principle of putting God first. Because if he's not first, then that just means that I'm first. And then my identity gets caught up in who I think I am instead of who Jesus thinks I am. In Matthew 6 it says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Here's a common trend in the world that we live in right now, and it's in counseling, and I said this for the last two weeks, I am a counselor, I believe in counseling, I'm not against it, but sometimes it's rubbish. From a Christian point of view, it's rubbish. Now, and that's on tape, and it'll be left there. I'll be slaughtered for that one, but that's okay. Here's the common trend that I think is rubbish. It's about finding myself. And it's totally opposite to what the gospel is about, because the gospel is about losing myself and finding Jesus. See, because when I go looking for me in that kind of an environment, I go into like a forest of introspection. I start looking deep inside for the perfect me who doesn't exist because there is no perfect me. And here's the thing, when we, whatever we put our focus on, we become. I've told you this on a million times, we, we become the books that we read and the people we hang around with because that becomes our focus. If I continuously focus on something, I will be drawn to it. I continuously focused as a child of not wanting to grow up like my parents and ended up like my parents. I needed to find something else to focus on that I could go towards, which was more positive. And it wasn't that my parents were horrendous that I ended up like them, but they had negative things I didn't want in my life, but that was what I ended up having. How many times have we sat with somebody who's the daughter or the son of an alcoholic who end up with an alcoholic? And as they're growing up, they're going, the last thing I ever want to be is near one of them. But who do they end up with? Because their focus is on what they don't want. Their focus is on the wrong thing. And if our focus stays continually on us, it will lead us down the garden path. God says, seek me first and everything else will be added to you. So if I can really learn to focus on God, all of the stuff I want to know about my own life, I will get it. I'll find it out. I don't need to go on a, on a, on a, a trail of self-discovery to find out about me. I need to go on a trail of Jesus' discovery. And do you know what? He shows me all about me. This is a total aside, but it's one of the reasons I have problems with the whole recovery movement that we have all around us at the moment, because it's all focused on the person and their recovery. That's going to drop like a lead balloon as well. Okay, but here's the reality of it. Without having someone else to focus your life on, you just become self-absorbed. And I have seen it over and over again. I've seen more marriages broken up after somebody got clean than when they were in addiction. Because they got so self-absorbed with their recovery to the extent of wiping everyone else out of their life. Do you know what? If you get so self-absorbed with Jesus, it will bring people to your life, not push them away. 
There is a difference between searching for yourself and discovering your identity in Christ. Searching for yourself is seeking inward to find the perfect you. It's me-centered and it's self-centered. And searching for yourself places the focus on you. Discovering your identity in Christ is to find the imperfect you in need of his perfect grace and places the focus on him and it's Christ-centered. I don't have a perfect me. But I do have an imperfect one that the grace of God has washed. I do have an imperfect one that the love of Christ has healed. I do have an imperfect one that God has nursed and brought and redeemed and pushed forward into a life that I never dreamed I could have. C.S. Lewis said, The more we let God take us over, the more truly ourselves we become because he made us. He invented us. He invented all the different people that you and I were intended to be. It's when I turn to Christ, when I give myself up to his personality, that I force to begin to have a real personality of my own. Have you ever been with someone or with other people and they kind of go, I think a man needs a personality transplant? Do you know that phrase? Here's a personality transplant to get them, Jesus. There's the one they want. So the reality of it is, if we're not intentional about letting God define who we are, our environment, our world will define us. Our job tries to define us. Our families try and define us. Our friends try and define us. The culture that we live in will tell us who we should be and what we should be. And if we're not that, then we're not real. If I don't have a 191 Kia, whatever it is, then I'm not a real person. If I don't have the right clothes, if I don't have the right hair, if I don't have the right whatever, it will try and define me into what being a real person is. But it's smoke and mirrors. See, it takes work to know who we are and to maintain a healthy perspective of our identity in Jesus. It's not going to change because you listen to it. Me talking up here for 25 minutes or an hour or two hours or whatever, that's not going to change it. It's about an ongoing relationship with Jesus day by day and hearing him speak into your life the truth against the lies that the devil and the world is going to put into your life. Because that's going to come. I promise you, leave here today and go out with the rest of your family or whoever else. You'll hear the lies coming at you. Were you in that church again? Don't be giving me a mumbo-jumbo crap. Whatever. There's only way that we can truly understand and live out of and walk in our true identities in a relationship with Jesus. Because here's the thing. When we know that we are deeply rooted in God, that's when we get to experience the fullness of God in our life. Only when we know that we're deeply rooted. Only when I know I am the pen in the box. Oh, it's a touch about the rubbing at me. Okay. Only when I know I am the pen and who I am and whom I'm in. Not even where I am, but whom I'm in. That's when I get to experience the fullness of God. And I forget. And we all forget. And we fall in and out of it. But the more we learn to stay in it, the more we experience God. And everything that the devil can do to stop you, he will. He'll use your career, he'll use sin, he'll use distraction, he'll use family, he'll use everything. Do you know what else he'll use? He'll use you. He'll use that little voice in your own head to stop you. Anybody else here got a little critic in your head? And I didn't say cricket, I said critic. Okay? It's not a little cricket who makes that nice noise at night time. It's a little critic that never stops telling you you're not good enough. That never stops telling you you'll never make it. That takes all of these labels that someone else said and makes them our own. How many times have I sat after I screwed up and gone, you're dope, you're brown. You're thick, you're brown. You're stupid. You'll never make it. I don't need other people telling me. I have it in my head. I have my own video that I play over and over again. You know the only antidote to that video? The truth to God. It's the only antidote. Sometimes that critic disguises itself as this um, excellence thing. We're going to do a great. And if we can't do a great, we're not doing it at all. And that's not the way it's supposed to be. 
Yeah, do the excellence thing. What's that? It's about doing the best you can with what you've got. The guys here are doing a great job in worship this morning. They did what they could with what they had. We don't have an orchestra. Poor Ushian broke a string. He still played. He done the best he could with what he had. That's the spirit of excellence. But in your head, it'll be like, that wasn't really good, was it? Many times you go home from here, you maybe not, but I tell you, the people up here who do go home and go, I missed that, I didn't get that, I didn't get this, I didn't get that. I missed that, no, I got that wrong. Because that critic is in our head, going around and around and around. Now here's the thing, God has words for us around that. And that's our trump card. If you're playing cards, if you used to play Dawn, you had a trump card, that was the winner. All right, and last week I talked about we need a counterweight to the lies that the devil is telling us. And we need a counterweight to the lies that I'm telling myself. And that counterweight is the word of God. (coughs) Sorry. His words are graceful and they're loving and they give us shape and their form. Now, they're not always comfortable. I'm going to be honest with you. Sometimes they're quite uncomfortable because sometimes the word tells us that the truth will set us free, but it can also make us a bit miserable sometimes before it sets us free. Because it can challenge us. <laughs> Sorry, I'm thinking about something that happened earlier. Um, his words come in and they reinstate you to wholeness and health. They equip you for life and power and works. You'll have to ask the worship team what that was about. It was an inside joke. But here's what he does. He empowers you for the internal. He empowers you. He empowers you for the eternal. That's amazing. I'm sorry, but I think that's amazing. The God of heaven empowers us. He comes inside of us and he empowers us. And he washes over us words of love and acceptance and affirmation. And he declares that you are his child. And that you are safe in that box because he's taken the hits. You don't have to take them. The stickers aren't on me. The stickers are on the box. I don't have any stickers on me. I'm still bright and shiny the way I went into it. But the box has got to hide. Wouldn't it be great to actually understand that we can hear that w- them words? And that we can get the courage to do whatever it is that God's called us to do. I sent out a WhatsApp on Friday to the, to the Hope WhatsApp group. And all I did was copy out what it was in the word for today. Some of you have read it and some of you are looking going, oh, did he send a text? I should have looked at it. Okay. But I'm going to read it to you just in case you missed it. It was called God Won't Let You Off the Hook. And it was from 1 Thessalonians. And it says, your faith in God has become known everywhere, how you turn from idols to serve God. That was the scripture. And here's the story. Jack Eckert, founder of the Eckert chemist chain, which was the second largest chemist chain in America at the time, became friends with Chuck Colton, founder of Prison Fellowship. Chuck Colton was a man who had been Richard Nixon's chief of staff or one of his advisors and ended up in prison over Watergate. He introduced Colton to various influential groups in Florida in an effort to bring about changes in the prison system. During their travels, Chuck had an opportunity to share with Jack his newfound faith in Jesus Christ. He gave some books to Jack, including his own, and eventually prayed with him to become a Christian. Shortly after, Jack happened to be walking down the magazine aisle in one of his stores when he noticed two pornographic magazines on the rack. The presence of the magazines had never bothered him before, but now it did. Jack called the president of his company and told him, excuse me, take those magazines out of my stores. The president argued, but we make a profit of $3 million a year on those magazines. Profit. Not turn off a profit. $3 million a year. Jack insisted to take them out. And so it was that all such magazines were removed from his 1,700 stores in one day. 1,700 shops. When Chuck Colton asked Jack about his decision, he said... Why else would I give away $3 million? The Lord wouldn't let me off the hook. God was speaking to him. But he didn't only speak to him in a challenge. He empowered him to take up the challenge and go and do what needed to be done to change things. 
And here's the thing. When you're committed to following Christ and living by his principles of Scripture, God won't let you off the hook either. This is the end of the words to UCB. So let it be said of you what Paul said of the believers in Thessalonica. Your faith has become known everywhere. How you turn from idols to serve God. And my question was, I wonder what that looks like in Ehrlers. I don't have three million. But where is God challenging us? Where is God speaking words into your life? Where is God empowering you to go and do something? And it doesn't have to be take over the world. It may just be to love somebody. It may just be to serve somebody. It may just be to put the neighbor's bins in. It may be not to strangle the neighbor. I don't know, but it could be anything. See, and here's the thing. I think there's something inside of us that all want God to speak to us like that. I think there's a, a longing in us for God to speak to us like that. I think we long to be called out for who we truly are. And not just by anyone, not just by another human being, but by someone bigger than all of that. It's nice if someone goes, you're great, that's brilliant, you should do more of that. That's encouraging. But imagine the God of the universe saying that to you. Imagine the one who made you saying that to you. And it's something that we need. And, but to get it, we need to have some kind of a healthy identity. We need to have some kind of an idea of who we are. And <coughs> the reality of it is most of us, most of us do not grow up in this world with a healthy identity. Because we need things to have a healthy identity. We need attention. When we're growing up, we need good eye contact. We need to be feeling valued. We need to feel like we're a priority. Okay? We need to feel like we can have quality time. Let me ask you a question. I grew up in the 50s and the 60s. Were we like priority? Do you remember being priority? Do you remember like um, good eye contact? The only eye contact I got was the evil eye. Get out, do you know what I mean? Like, you know that look that their mother gave you? And it was like, I'm in trouble. Yeah? So it's like, we need affection. We need limitless hugs, kisses, cuddles. Not weary stuff. Just affection. Proper affection. Affirmation. People speaking life and encouragement into us. Did you get much of that growing up? And this isn't like knock the parents, minute. I was a parent. I didn't do this to my kids all the time. Done it a bit more than I got it, but not as probably not as much as they needed. The reality of it is, is we're growing up, and we talked a good bit about this last night, last year, the week, training, last night, last year, or last week, one of them three. Pick A, B, or C. So, from birth through to adolescence, they're crucial times in our life for the forming of our emotions, for the forming of our perceptions of the world, for forming our identity. And we enter into adulthood. Remember I said last week, the Jesuits said, give me a kid, only seven or eight, I'll give you the man. We'll form him. Someone formed you. Someone formed me. Just like if it was a vase being made, a clay pot, someone forms it. The question is, are we formed the way God wants us to be formed? Or are we formed the way the world made us formed? Some people had a great childhood. Some of us had a poor one. But here's what connects all of us. We're all looking for that voice to validate us. We're all looking for that voice who will affirm us and who will define us for who we are. And that's part of humanity. There's nothing weird about that. There's nothing unusual. Being valued, being validated just means that we're valued. That's all. Being affirmed just means that someone is declaring the truth over us. Remember last week I said the power of life and death is in the tongue? Power, life, and death. What was said over you? What's God saying over you? What are you saying over yourself? Being defined just means that it gives us purpose and form. I'm going to ask you for a minute. I want to do an exercise with you. I just want to ask you if you're comfortable to close your eyes. If you're not, maybe just soft focus on something on the floor. And I want to ask you to imagine something. I want you to try and imagine a big strong, loving, fatherly figure embracing you by the shoulder. Just walking alongside you and saying just to you, nobody else, not the person sitting beside you, not your mammy, not your daddy, not your kids, nobody, just you. There is just this loving, fatherly figure in you. And he's speaking to you. 
And he's saying things like, you are my child, whom I love. I will never leave your side. And I'll never leave you behind. I will fight for you. I will empower you. And I will see to it that you fulfill every good purpose that I planned for you. Find rest in my love and my acceptance. And know that I have chosen you and I have redeemed you. You belong to me and I belong to you. My favor falls on you. Don't be afraid of the future. For as close as I am to you right now, I will be near to you in your days ahead. open your eyes but I want to go out on a limb here and say this is God speaking to us this is God speaking to you God is actually talking to you how good does that feel that God would speak to me before I move into the chaos of this afternoon or tomorrow to know that God has spoke to me and has told me that he loves me and he accepts me and he's on my side and he's with me and he's for me. And it is me and God against the world. It's not just me against the world. What would our lives look like if we could frequently and abundantly lavish ourselves with those words that we hear from God? What would it be like just like you have a shower every day to wash yourself in the words that God says about you. See, God desires for you to hear those words and to believe them. And not just to think that they're just words and they're for somebody else, but they're actually for you. (coughs) We have an example of how God speaks to his son. If you look in the book of Matthew 3, verse 16 to 17, you see it talks about Jesus being baptized. And it says, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he came up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was opened. Remember that bit. Heaven was opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is God speaking. A voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Do you know what that means? I'm well pleased. It means I'm delighted with him. God makes himself known. He affirms his son. He declares in public that he's pleased with him. Here's the thing, who we are is rooted in this. Because the Bible declares we are children of God. So if God is saying that about Jesus, he's also saying that about you. Because you are in Jesus. So he says with you, I am well pleased. Now I live in a world that told me I had to do things so people would be pleased with me. God wasn't just going to be pleased with me unless I did things or do things. But God is pleased with me just because I'm his son. And he's pleased with you because you're his daughter and you're his son. Just as you are pleased with your kids. Just, when our babies were born, they'd done nothing. Only poo and pee and boop and get sick on us and all kinds of things. We were still pleased with them. We loved them. Our delight was in them. They couldn't do anything. And that's the way God looks at us. He is delighted with us. Not because of what you can do. Not because you can be nice to the neighbor. Yeah, be nice to the neighbor anyway. But do that out of the fact that you know that you're loved. Not to try and get the love. 
See, if we can read the scripture and put ourselves into the place of Jesus, then we can know that what God did for Jesus, he still does for us. And he'll do it for us today. God shows up. Let me read that again. At that moment, heaven was opened. Now, I have no idea what that could look like. I've often sat in places and thought the heavens are opened. It's like God has curtains up there and he just pulls them back or something. I don't know. And the light shines down. And he highlighted his son. And he will do that with you in certain situations. He will highlight you. And not normally if I think of God highlighting me, it's because I've done something wrong. And it's like, oh, God, get the spotlight off me. But God will put the spotlight on you just because he loves you. And he wants you to know that he loves you. He is the constantly declaring who you are to him. Not because of your talents, though some of you may be talented, not because you're perfect. And not because you don't know how to sin, because I think all of us know how to do that, but because you're his child. And he says, in you, I am well pleased. He put your name in there for a minute. What's it feel like to say this? In me, God is well pleased. Try that one. It's weird, isn't it? We do exercise, we used to do exercise on drug projects all the time, and they'd say, give me a list of 10 things that you're bad, that's bad about you. And people could give me 40 or 50. No problem. They give us a list of 10 things that's good about you, and they would struggle. God has lists, as long as anything, about how much he loves you. Just because of who you are. He loves to color your eyes. He loves to shape you, even if you're ever shaped like me. He loves the way you speak. If you can't sing a note, he still loves listening to you singing. He loves you. Jesus was able to please God because he knew just one thing, that he was his son and he was beloved. Not because he did it. Jesus hadn't even started his ministry at that stage. He just got baptized. But God was well pleased with him. And when Jesus was tested in the desert, in Matthew 4, it says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The Spirit tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. You can read the rest of your things. Here's the key thing here. Before Jesus was tempted, Satan questioned his identity. Jesus' first test in the desert wasn't about being hungry. It was about who was he. The only way Satan could have possibly defeated him was to crack what he believed about who he was and his identity. Before we make bad choices in life, before you and I give in to any kind of negative thinking, before we allow our emotions to rule over our thoughts or our lives, chances are there are confidence in who we are and to whom we belong, has become compromised. When we sin, we forget who we are. When I sin, I forget who I am. That's all it is. Every time I give in to something that is not of God, I forget that I am a child of God, and I am a brother of Jesus. That I am adopted into his family. I forget who I am. And here's the thing. That revelation of who we are takes time and it takes process and it takes us in a constant relationship of hearing God speaking to us. But the enemy's assault in you is going to be a constant process as well. He's not going to give up. He's not going to stop. There's four ways our identity gets attacked. And when it gets attacked and when it gets compromised, It changes the way that we perceive ourselves, changes the way we perceive our relationship with God, changes the way we think about how other people perceive us and how we then perceive them. (coughs) But we need to constantly keep coming back to the question is, what does God say? What is God saying? What did he say? What will he say? And scripture is probably the most powerful tool you have for that. In the Psalms it said, he sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. What's his word? Jesus and the scriptures. 
Jesus came to heal us. Jesus came to put us together. His word heals us. His word delivers us. So here's the thing. When we expose the lie, we get to accept his word. Remember last week I was talking about what's the lie? Here's the event. What's the lie? What's God's word into that situation? Here's how our identity gets attacked. Now let me say this just before I go there. There's no fence to sit on. You either believe what God says about you or you believe what the world says about you. There is no fence. You try standing on a fence long enough, you're going to fall down and get hurt. Hopefully you don't fall with one leg on each side. That would be really painful. But either way, it's going to hurt. Either way. You're either in what God says about you or you're in what everyone else says about you. I've watched too many people trying to walk that fence and get badly hurt. He'll try shame. When we do something stupid, we'll have shame. We'll get disconnected from God. Conviction is different to condemnation. Conviction will bring us back to going, sorry God, need to get me out together, shouldn't have done that, and get ourselves back into a relationship with God. The Holy Spirit will convict us to bring us back to God. The devil will condemn us to push us away from God. Because that won't be about what I did, it'll be about who I am. So I do something stupid, I say the wrong thing, I'm sharp or I'm... Whatever I do, or I eat something, or drink something, or take something, or look at something I shouldn't be looking at, and something inside of me called the God, and the Holy Spirit is saying to me, Brian, you shouldn't be doing that. You, you can do better than this. And there is better for you than that. And it draws me back into a relationship with God. The enemy will go, look at you, you dope. Call yourself a Christian? You're not one of them. And don't let them know that about you. And I'll cover it in shame. And push me down and down and down and away and away and away. Here's the thing, I just want to say this really quickly. Temptation is common to every single human being that lives. And until the day you die, you're going to get tempted. That is not sin. Just getting tempted doesn't mean that you've done anything wrong. But you will have a voice in your head telling you because you actually noticed you were being tempted. Ooh, you're a baddie. And you're not. It's a big fat lie. You're not. Everybody gets tempted. What we do with temptation is up to us. God gives us a way out of temptation. He gives us the tools we need. We have the power to defeat it. But here's the thing. We'll only have the power to defeat it as long as we know who we are. Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden gave in to temptation. And God came after them. And I want you to go back at some stage and read that story in Genesis. Because I want you to read how God came after them. He didn't come after them with a big stick to bait them. He came after them with love going, where are you? He didn't come after him with a gun. There wasn't guns in Genesis, but I'm sure God could have got one if he wanted one. He came after them with love. They covered themselves up with fig leaves. Can't have been nice. I believe fig leaves make it itchy. But anyway. What the fig leaves provided Adam and Eve in the garden is what shame and condemnation provide us now. What the fig leaves provided Adam and Eve in the garden is what shame and condemnation provide us now. It's a place where we can self-load. It's a place where we can hide. It's a comfortable spot to feel unworthy of our Father's pursuit and a place of separation from the only one that can love us back into healing and redemption. And that's where the devil will use shame as much as he possibly can in your life to push you away from God. And when Adam and Eve covered their nakedness out of vulnerability with the leaves, what they did was shut the door to intimacy and relationship with each other and with God. And when we let shame and condemnation do that to us, it shuts the door of relationship with other people and with God. So what do you do with Sam? What do you do with him? We say a truth against it. We kill it with the only weapon we've got, the word of God. 
In Isaiah, it says, do not be afraid. You will not be put to shame. Do not fear disgrace. You will not be humiliated. You will forget the shame of your youth and remember it no more. Remember no more the reproach of your widowhood. For your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. Keep reading what God says. Keep reading it slowly and let it soak in. Life patterns is another thing that, that's used to stop us and attack our identity. The environment you grew up in, your family, your friends, your culture, your traditions, all of them exert a force on you. Every single one of them. We're Irish, we're not Irish, we're this, we're that, we're the other. I'm a North or I'm a South We all have a culture, we all have traditions, we all push us in. For most people, there's a difference between who God says you are and who you think you are based on your experience. If you grew up in a family where people told you you were stupid, the chances are there's a part of you believes you are stupid. What God tells you, you are not stupid, you are loved. The challenge in this is to either agree with what God says about you or to agree with what the world says about you. But you can't agree with both. Here's what Romans says. God is always true, even if every man lies. It's in Romans 3 and 4. God is always true. What if we made a decision to make that scripture true in our lives? That what God says about me is the truth and what everyone else says about me is lies. What that person said about me, what my dad said, my ma said, my teacher, whoever, what they said is lies. What Satan says about me is a lie. But what God says about me is the truth. Here's the last thing we can take in, and then I'm going to move on as quick as I can. In 2 Corinthians, it says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. All the old stuff that spoke into my life and said, I wasn't this, I wasn't that, I'm no good, I'm all of them things, all that old stuff is gone. I am a new creation. A new creation. Hurts and traumas are something to stop us. We talked about them a lot last week. We have things happen to us. We have pain. But then how we interpret that pain. God's not with me. God abandoned me. God doesn't care about me. All of that stuff goes on in our head. And the minute we come close to something that's going to hit that pain again, we fall back into that whole thing again. God's not with me. God's abandoned me. All of that kind of stuff. The pain is real. What we experience is real. I'm not minimizing anybody's pain, but what I am saying is how we react to that is really important. How we deal with it is really important. And sometimes we don't deal with it well. And it just becomes another barrier to us experience the love that God has for us. Sometimes we minimize it. Sometimes we belittle it. We had a, we, um, there's, a, there's a phrase, um, you're sweeping her under the carpet. Yeah, pretending nothing's gone wrong, nothing's happening. Whatever happens when we sweep things under the carpet, someone falls over the lump in the carpet eventually, don't they? And all hell breaks loose. Yeah, we belittle it. Like if someone hurts you, they hurt you. Acknowledge the hurt. Then figure out a way to deal with it with God and move on. Yes, we need to move on, but we don't move on pretending that something didn't happen. Here's the truth about things when you get hurt. In Psalm 24, it says, When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, and not one of them is broken. See, I think that's amazing, because I can look around this room, and I can guarantee I'm looking at people, and I know you've been hurt. I know you've been hurt. I've walked through some of that hurt with some of you. But you know what else I know? You're not broke. It didn't break you. Because here you sit. And God will bring you through the rest of it. The lies the enemy tell us only works if we agree with them. So if he tells you you're broke and you sit there and go, yeah, I'm broke, then it has power. But if you say, no, I'm not broke, I'm whole, I'm with Jesus, then it doesn't have any power. Or its power is very limited. We talked last week about lies and core lies and core beliefs and all the rest of it. And God's truth will overcome any of them for you if you're willing to apply it to it. In John, 
Jesus said, if you abide in my word and you are truly my disciples, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free if you abide in his word. We can be free from all the hopeful experiences. We can be free from all the trauma. We just have to decide that we will believe what God is saying. And I'm not, again, I'm saying I am not minimizing the pain. I'm not saying it didn't happen. I'm acknowledging it all. Let me, let me give you a, a different example and then we'll finish with this. Um, many years ago in Belarus, we were doing a Christmas camp in Adesh, it was. And, uh, and the girls, the kids, Emma and um, I can't remember who was with her, they had this um, skit that they did for the kids in Belarus. And the whole emphasis of the week with those kids on that camp was about their identity in Jesus, who they were in God. And most of these kids didn't, never heard about God. But the whole thing was about their identity. So there was a book written by a guy called Max Lucado called You Are Special. And it's a story of someone called Punchinello. And I want to read, it's not the whole book, but I want to read this to you because it's really, really good. Um, and I think you will get the story from it. And it's about a people called the Wemmicks. I may be pronouncing that wrong, but let me read. The Wemmicks were small wooden people. All of the wooden people were carved by a woodmaker named Eli. His workshop sat on a hill overlooking their village. Each Wemmick was different. Some had big noses, others had large eyes. Some were tall and others were short. Some wore hats, others wore coats. But all were made by the same carver and all lived in the village. And all day, every day, the Wemmicks did the same thing. They gave each other stickers. Each Wemmick had a box of golden star stickers and a box of grey dot stickers. And up and down the streets all over the city, people spent their days sticking stars or dots on one another. The pretty ones, those with smooth wood and fine paint, always got stars. But if the wood was rough or the paint chipped, the Wemmicks gave dots. The talented ones got stars too. Some could lift big sticks high above their heads or jump over tall boxes. Still others knew big words or could sing pretty songs. Everyone gave them stars. Some Wemmicks had stars all over them. And every time they got a star, it made them feel so good. It made them want to do something else, and they got another star. Others, though, could do little. They got dots. Punchinello was one of these. He tried to jump high like the others, but he always fell. And when he fell, the others would gather around and give him dots. Sometimes when he fell, his wood got scratched, so the people would give him more dots. Then when he would try to explain why he fell, he would say something silly, and the Wemmicks would give him more dots. After a while, he had so many dots that he didn't want to go outside. He was afraid he would do something dumb, such as forget his hat or step in the water, and then people would give him another dot. In fact, he had so many grey dots that some people would come up and give him one for no reason at all. He deserves lots of dots the wooden people would agree with one another. He's not a good wooden person. After a while, Punchinella believed him. I'm not a good Wemmick, he would say, a Wemmick. The few times he went outside, he hung around other Wemmicks who had a lot of dots. He felt better around them. <coughs> One day he met a Wemmick who was unlike any he'd ever met. She had no dots and no stars. She was just wooden. Her name was Lucia. It wasn't that people didn't try to give her stickers. It's just that the stickers didn't stick. Some of the Wemmicks admired Lucia for having no dots, so they would run up and give her a star. But it would fall off. Others would look down on her for not having no stars, and they'd try and give her a dot. But it wouldn't stick either. That's the way I want to be, Ta Punchinella. I don't want anyone's marks. So he asked the stickerless Wemmick how she did it. It's easy, Lucia replied. Every day I go see Eli. Eli? Yes, Eli, the woodcarver. I sit in the workshop with him. Why? said Punchinella. Why don't you find out for yourself? Go up the hill, he's there. And with that, the Wemmick, who had no stickers, turned and skipped away. But will he want to see me? Punchinella cried out. 
Lucia did not hear, so Punchinella went home. He sat near the window and he watched the wooden people as they scurried around, giving each other stars and dots. It's not right, he muttered to himself. And he decided to go and see Eli. He walked up the narrow path to the top of the hill and he stepped into the big shop and his wooden eyes widened at the size of everything. The stool was as tall as he was. He had to stretch on his tiptoes to see the top of the workbench. A hammer was as long as his arm and Punchinella swallowed hard. I'm not staying here. And he turned to leave. (coughs) Then he heard his name, Punchinella. The voice was deep and strong. Punchinello stopped. Punchinello, how good to see you. Come and let me have a look at you. Punchinello turned slowly and looked at the large bearded craftsman. You know my name? The little Wemmick asked. Of course I do. I made you. Eli stooped down. Picked him up. And set him on the bench. Mm, the maker spoke tawfully as he looked at the grey dots. Looks like you've been given some bad marks. I didn't mean to, Eli. I really tried hard. Ah, you don't have to defend yourself to me, child. I don't care what the other Wemmicks think. You don't? No, and you shouldn't either. Who are they to give you stars or dots? They're Wemmicks just like you. What they think doesn't matter. All that matters is what I think. And I think you're pretty special. Punchinella laughed. Me? Special? Why? I can't walk fast, I can't jump, my paint is peeling. Why do I matter to you? Eli looked at Punchinella, put his hands on those small wooden shoulders, and spoke very slowly. Because you're mine. That's why you matter to me. Punchinella had never had anyone look at him like this, much less his maker. He didn't know what to say. Every day I've been hoping you'd come, Eli said. I came because I met someone who had no marks, said Punchinella. I know, she told me about you. Why don't the speaker stay on her, the maker spoke softly, because she has decided that what I think is more important than what they think. The stickers only stick if you let them. What? The stickers only stick if they matter to you. The more you trust my love, the less you care about their stickers. I'm not sure I understand. Eli smiled. You will, but it will take time. You've got a lot of marks. For now, just come to see me every day and let me remind you how much I care. Eli lifted Punchinella off the, den- off the bench and set him on the ground. Remember, Eli said as the Wemmick walked out the door, you are special because I made you and I don't make mistakes. <sighs> Punchinella did not stop, but in his heart he thought, I think he really means it. And when he did, a dot fell to the floor. The hero of our story speaks life-affirming words to his creators. The amazing thing about this story is the simple truth that it brings. Not only are the creator's words powerful enough to call forth the identity of his creation, but those words supersede the names and the labels put on his creation by ourselves and by others. Um... You, my trusty assistants, give them out to people. Yes. Just give everyone one. I'm just giving you a piece of paper. Actually, here's more. Sorry. I think. Yeah. And it says something. It says, Hello, my name is. And I don't want you to write anything on it. Actually, let me pray just for a sec. Lord, I thank you for you today. I thank you for your word and your truth. And I want to ask you now to help us to come to you in your love and your acceptance for us. Help us to come to you with the shame that's in our lives, with the hurts that's in our lives, with the the family backgrounds in our lives, with whatever it is that's in our lives, Lord, help us to come to you with it right now. 
I want to ask you to remind each of us who we are, a son, a daughter, that we are your beloved, that we thank you for being with us at this moment. I thank you for what you are going to reveal. And right now, Lord, I rebuke and I cast away any disturbance that would take away from this moment with you. I want to set our hearts and our minds towards you. And I want to ask you to help and give us focus to hear your voice right now. I want to ask you a question. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes for the next few minutes. Because just, just a couple of minutes for you and God. Just ask you a question. What are the lies that you have believed about yourself? What is that one word that keeps coming over and over and over on you as a label? What is that negative statement that you hear about yourself over and over and over again? What is it that keeps coming at you to hurt you? Don't write it down. Don't capture it. Just become aware of it. Is it failure? Is it worthlessness? Is it victim? Is it orphaned? Is it abandoned? What is that one word that you find yourself battling over and over and over again? It usually isn't too hard to find. Take your time with it. Once you have it, that one word, I'm going to suggest let's surrender it to Jesus. Let's give it to God. If it's failure, let's give it to God. If it's stupid, let's give it to God. Whatever it is, let's give it to God. So Lord, right now we come to you as our maker, our creator, as the lover of our souls. We come to you and we take this label. We take this word and we surrender it to you. Whatever it is, there is no word that you cannot handle. And we lay it at your feet. And we say, we don't want it anymore. We don't want this label anymore. We give it up to you. I pray, Lord, you will receive it as our offering. We have had it with us too long. But we're done with it. We give it to you and we lay it at your feet. And as you nail it to the cross, now you have something to say to us. You have a truth that you want us to hear in place of that word, Lord. If that word was failure, maybe that new word is victory. If the word was neglected or forsaken, maybe it's adopted and beloved. I believe there is a specific, special word for everyone in this room. So Jesus, I pray you would open up our hearts and our minds to accept that word, to hear that word, that positive life-affirming word that gives us attention, affection, and affirmation of who we truly are. I want to ask you to take your time with that word. What is God saying to you? Is he calling you daughter? Is he calling you son? Is he calling you beloved? Is he calling you victorious? Is he saying that you are more than a conqueror? And wherever it is you said to you, I want to ask you to write it on that card. Hello, my name is Son, Daughter, Beloved. Whatever you do with that name, it's up to you. Put it in your pocket, put it in your Bible, put it, stick it on the fridge at home, whatever. But here's what my prayer is and what I really want for you today. It's that you walk out of this place with absolute certainty that that is who you are. That you own that label, that you own that new identity, that you accept those words of life that God has given right now. God, help us embrace who you say we are and help us give you the final say on who we say we are.
I want to ask you to say, I know some of you need to leave, and I know this has gone on for a while. But you know, the place to go is God. We pray for each other, and weekly we have prayer teams that pray for people. But right now, the place for you to be is in God's presence, just you and him. And let him wash you with his love. So if you have to leave, I'm going to ask you to do it quietly. But if you can stay for another two or three minutes, then I invite you to do that. And let God speak to you. Let him affirm that word and apply it deep, deep, deep into those dark places that he wants to heal. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your love for each person in this room. And Lord, I know there are people here who are struggling with even accepting that. Who aren't getting it, but there are people who are. But Lord, I pray that you would continue to speak into each of our hearts. That you would continue to wash over us with your love and affirm us for who we are. For being your child. I want to pray you would bless each and every person in this room, not just today, but every day as we go through this week ahead. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Please just sit for another minute. Let God talk to you. When this song ends, we'll be dismissed and we can go.